with the Golden State Warriors. Mark Jackson famously said it. It was mocked until it became a reality, and now it is a reality. The team is better. The team is tougher. Mark Jackson, as a coach, went from I don't know about it to I absolutely like what's going on. But I still think the person... The masterstroke, the genius behind the turnaround is general manager Bob Myers, who has put together a collection of viable NBA pieces, not just entertainers. Do you know what I mean, Bob? Do you know what I mean? How you doing? I don't know what to say about that. That's a pretty strong introduction. It is a solid introduction. (laughs) How are you? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for joining us. Um, You know, let's start with just the, the news that it looks like the Kings are closer to remaining the Sacramento Kings. As someone who cares about basketball and a regional rival, how, how, how important do you think the Warriors-Kings relationship is to both clubs? That's a good question, Damon. I, I, look, it's been a great rivalry. They've had years where they've been very, very uh, up um, with, with the Divac and Weber years and, and uh, had some great success. And I remember going to Warriors games and it was all Kings fans. Do you remember that? I mean, it was uh, in those days. I, f- I forget what era that was. It was 90s or, or late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but it's, 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 it's actually used to be a place uh, at, at Arco, now Sleep Train, was one of the toughest arenas to play in, in the league. So, you know, f- for those reasons, you like to k- keep, keep a rivalry alive and, th- and things like that. But there's so many different angles to it. And I don't follow it on a day-to-day basis because there's enough work to do with our team um, every day, but um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Right, you know, and, and I know that you, you know, you're on the the player personnel side of this. You're not on the business side of it. But do you think that if the Warriors went to Seattle, your business model changes at all? Are you okay? So now we're the only NBA team in a 500 mile radius, and that's better than being the only NBA team in a hundred mile radius. Do you? Do I don't you, know. Yeah, you know, I, I know. I, it's a question I that I ask myself: How does it affect this? But I think our fan base here is so strong, regardless of the outcome of, of, of that question. I mean, we have, I mean, you've probably been to NBA games around the arena. Our fans, it's, it's, I, I almost wake up every day thinking how lucky we are to have them and how fortunate because the resiliency that they've shown um, and the loyalty that they've shown in the Bay Area, we've never lacked for support. So if that support increased, uh, that'd be fine too. But look, we, we get plenty of support. We have unbelievable fans. Um, so, so that that's never been a question of trying to get more. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I I've been talking to Golden State Warrior fans since the day I started working at KNBR eight years ago. I've been talking to every single brand of Bay Area fan there is, and I've said it on the air. I'll say it again. I would invite every Bay Area fan over to the party, but only the Warrior fans can stay for the after party because they earned it. <laughs> that's good. I mean, I, I I grew up here, so I I've my first NBA game was was Joe Barry Carroll and Larry Larry Smith up in the third level with my dad. And, and so I, I grew up here, and then I moved to L.A. for college and stayed down there for law school. And when I was an agent, I was in L.A. So I was a Warriors fan in L.A., which is like the worst combination you can envision for somebody. <laughs> watching the Lakers do what they do and watching us you know, struggle. But, um, look, I think, I think we're getting better, um, and we're incrementally doing it. I think we've got players that work hard ownership that's committed to winning first and and that's great not not economics but winning first and working for guys like that Joe Lacob and Peter Goober um gives us a great chance to be successful we're not where we want to be yet but we hope we're we're making a slow uh, slow climb to where we want to go Bob Myers general manager of the Golden State Warriors here on the Damon Bruce show I want to talk to you about David Lee who probably has the league play him 
a little bit differently than they play other guys on the low block. He gets beat up every single night. He really does. I mean, he gets pushed around, and I'm not saying that it's uh, have anything to do with bravado or race or anything like that, but I really, you look at David Lee's back, and it's like, it's like the passion of the Christ back there. He is just so cut up, scarred up, scratched up. He is, uh, he's, he's roughed up. He never complains. He never does anything. And he, I think, now represents the turnaround of this team. The, the physical embodiment of the Golden State Warriors' toughness can be seen, literally seen in the scars on David Lee's yeah. back. No, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote. After Curry tweaked the ankle against, um, gosh, why am I forgetting? DC. Was even, yeah, against, yeah. against the Wiz. Yeah, against the Wiz. So, so, I, so obviously, you know, there's a collective gasp in the arena. I'm one of them. So you, you walk back to the locker room at the end and, and uh, kind of beeline it straight to staff and the trainers and doctors. And, and turn, you know, you hear from them that, look, it's not that bad and, you know, he should be all right. And, you know, you, you take a sigh of relief. And as I'm walking out, David Lee says, hey, Bob, he says, uh, I'm good, too, by the way. <laughs> I said, David, you know what? It's a compliment that I expect you to be healthy, that, that we count on you. So David has been that kind of uh, consistent force for us, a pillar. And it, it is a compliment to, to always think, well, you're always going to be fine, David. I mean, it's funny for him to say, how come I don't get that attention? And he was obviously joking. Well, and, but, uh, you know, and, and here's the thing. The guy leads the NBA in double-doubles, which is amazing. Now that he's on a winning team, no one's saying these double-doubles double are empty numbers anymore. Right. It's amazing what a little winning will do for your perception. But he's the only guy in the NBA to put LeBron on his rear end twice. And he's yep. the only guy in the NBA to throw a, 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 a hey, how are you elbow at Dwight Howard. I love it. I mean, I've yeah. been saying I've been wanting a hard foul and a nasty warrior for years and until you have one you're not going to go anywhere and you got one yeah you know what's what's great for david um and and to kind of toot his horn is that came into the league unheralded uh, was a late first or early second round pick went to a team in new york where didn't expect anything of him uh, earned his earned his way uh put up good numbers team didn't win earned his way into a big contract with us that he signed three or four years ago but was always, like you said, labeled as soft, um, didn't win, empty numbers, overpaid, whatever. And that all changes when you win. Uh, and, and, and the things that you're seeing as far as being physical, he's learning himself that it's not you get 20 and 10. It's does your team win and what's your impact on the game. And so David has kind of run the gamut of the NBA experience where I represented a lot of players. First you want to play, then you want to get paid, then you want to win. He's finally um, – been able to achieve the winning side of things, which to me, being around NBA players, is the most gratifying piece of a career. Once you taste winning, and he's finally tasting winning, and I think uh, he's embracing it. He's, he's doing a really good job for us. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Curry and Clay, who had Charles Barkley a few, about a month ago, say, you know, he didn't think the two of them could exist. What do you think Barkley meant? When he said that, what are the merits to his thought pattern, and why do you think he's he's a little bit right or a lot a bit wrong? Because I'm telling you, Clay has made a, a defensive turnaround that I think neuters Barkley's thought pattern. Yeah, I mean that, that that's a good point to to to, and Charles, you know he's he's great. I love listening to him. I mean he's uh, not afraid to speak his mind. I think the best thing about Charles is is if if he turns out to be wrong. He'd be the first to say, yeah, I, I did say that, and yeah, I was wrong. So I, we'll see. Time will tell. But I think where he was going with it possibly was that's too much shooting and not enough paint presence. I mean, neither of them are, are super efficient in getting in the paint when you need them to. And, and, and you, would, you would respond to that with, well, when you shoot it that well, 
at that high of a percentage. And I think if you look at Curry and Clay, Curry's Curry may be the first player in the league, which this is a crazy stat. Somebody told me that leads the league in three pointers made and field goal percentage from three. So you you have a guy that's shooting at a high high volume and leading the league in percentage, right. which I don't. It's never happened. First so, time the term volume shooter has ever been a compliment. Yeah, right, exactly. Volume pure shooter. I don't know how you even characterize it, but but do you want that guy? stop you want that guy to stop shooting um and i think where barkley was going with curry and clay was people used to use coin the term live by the three die by the three but the question is when that dries up if there's a night which statistically you probably think there wouldn't be that both are off that both players are struggling to shoot the ball uh, and if you're very good it's like being a putter in golf if you're very good at putting you're probably going to be consistent at it. Um, but there's going to be a day where you go out and play golf, and you can't. You can't. It's just not happening. And then you take two guys that are out there playing, and they're both good putters, and you say, man, we're both having awful days. That can happen. I mean, it, it's possible, and it has happened for us this year. So the question is, is when the team, and it's not so much Curry and Clay, it's if that's happening during the course of the game or teams are taking that away from us, how do we respond then? When, when that well goes dry, and for whatever reason that the shots aren't falling, what do we do? Does it mean that those guys then decide, you know what, my shot's not falling, I've got to find a way to get in the paint? And they're getting better at that. I think both Curry and Clay are getting better at finding ways to score outside of perimeter jumpers. And then it's up to guys like David Lee to funnel the offense through. Bogut, when his offense comes back around, Barnes is probably the most adept guy from the perimeter at getting in the paint, getting fouled, and finishing. So it's okay, and I see where he was going with it. Um, and, again, you, you prove a guy like that wrong by winning. I mean, that's, that's how you prove a guy. I mean, if we don't win, he looks, he looks smarter than me. But um, it's, it's, they're both young, Damon, so time will tell. But we feel like it's been pretty good, and I think it can get better. Warriors general manager Bob Myers, you know, you never forget your first. And uh, Harrison Barnes was your first, uh, you know, like official pick. What, what, what do you think of his season? Where would you like to see him improve? And, and what is the part of his game that, as a rookie, you most admire? I think work ethic. He's got a tremendous work ethic. He's a tremendous professional, approaches the game the right way, eats right, gets his treatment, does all the extra work, never takes days off. All the things you'd like to see in a 20-year-old player uh, and how he approaches the game, which makes me believe he'll be successful. Um, you know, he came into the league with people saying uh, he was a jump shooter and couldn't attack the paint and couldn't defend, and he's taken that as a challenge. Um, but I think the thing that is most encouraging to me and our front office and ownership with Harrison is that he wants it. He wants to be great. So oftentimes when I was an agent, we'd get the first look at players. We'd, we'd get a chance to recruit them, get to know the family, get to know them, and then we would then put them through our own workouts prior to them being seen. So, for example, when, when Matt Barkley does a pro day, he's working with somebody for a month before, before the, the, all, the NBA, all the NFL people show up to uh, watch him throw. Sure. So you get a chance to see guys. So you say to, for example, um, Derek Rose or Westbrook, two guys we represented, you'd say, uh, we're, we're going to work out at 8 o'clock in the morning tomorrow, guys. You'd see Derek Rose and Westbrook Westbrook say, all right, good, I'll be here at 7.30. Then conversely, you'd see other guys that you'd say, we're going to, and this is not their college coach or an NBA team or NFL team telling them to be there. This is just an agent and the trainer saying, you've got to be there at this time. You find out very quickly who cares about being a great player or, or working hard. And Barnes, you don't really know that when you draft a guy. You talk to the college coach. You talk to people around him. Sometimes you draft a player and find out 
in the summer, hey, we want you here in August. The guy says, when do I have to report? And you say, well, technically, you know, you have to report at the end of September. Right. Some guys show up at the end of September. This guy, I think, the day he came out uh, when we drafted him, he said, can I stay and work out? Immediately then you know you've got a guy that is going to be better tomorrow than he was today and so on and so on. So for us as an organization, that's, that's what you want. Well, and, you know, I think sometimes, Bob, you get guys who've got so much raw ability, but, you know, no one peaks when they're 19, 20 years old, especially in a man's game once they hit the NBA. Harrison Barnes was always... You know, I got a lot of friends who are, I got a, I got a lot of friends who are North Carolina fans, and they you know Harrison Barnes is always what he wasn't, right. regardless of what he was. How do you disseminate the the whole like? Well, forget about the limitations. Forget about the fact he's nineteen. We you know this is a a huge raw project here, and we'd be crazy to overlook. I mean, I think a guy like Clay is the same thing. Whatever whatever your complaints about Clay were a year ago, boy, he's gotten really good. I mean, his, yeah. his he has made a a serious commitment to be a perimeter defender. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, those are, you know what, well said, because Clay Thompson, from the day we got him, is a much better player and certainly defender, like you alluded to. But you know why? He works. I mean, that's the thing. There's no secret to all this stuff. I mean, it, it, there, you, you do your best, you do your homework, you make decisions, but hard work usually gets results. And so when you see a guy like Clay Thompson show up all summer long, not just coming in here shooting jumpers, but working on his defense, which is not fun, by the way. I mean, nobody really gets excited to go to the gym and work on defense, but he did it. And, he, and, and so for us as an organization to see the results, it's not a surprise. There's no shortcuts to this stuff. So when you watch Harrison next year, he's going to be better. And the thing that, the thing that I think uh, you asked what we would like to see from him is just consistency. I think if people watch us, um, you'll see flashes from Harrison where you say, wow, why can't he do it every time? Or, you know what, that was a good decision and that was a bad decision. That's where you become an elite player uh, in the NBA when you can do it night in and night out. And Clay, like last year, even the start of this year, he'd have a great night and then a so-so night and then a bad night. But now he's, he's having you know, two good nights as opposed to one mediocre night. And hopefully then it'll be three. And the same thing with Curry and some of these guys. It's just developing consistency. Um, but our belief, like you said, is you put the time in, which our guys are committed to doing, and they're going to get better. What is the ceiling for a guy like that? We'll see. But um, if you've got an athlete that works hard and is a good guy, you, you expect him to improve, and I think he will. I think this team will be at its best when Curry, Clay's, and Barnes' developments meet Andrew Bogut's recovery. Yeah. I mean, I and obviously that's what you're looking yeah. for, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, we're young at the perimeter still, um, and you're right. Bogut's health makes us a much different team. I think um, that piece – any NBA team, the center position can make or break you um, in a lot of different ways. So for, 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 a, for a healthy Bogut to be out there every night, it absolutely makes us better. He, he's, he's everything we don't have. He's everything the other guys aren't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, that's our hope. I mean, a lot of organizations have the best ideas, and it never comes to fruition. So we hope that that's, that's in our future. Um, and, and, and look, with the hard work and effort, we, we, we think it's possible. One more question for you, and I really appreciate your time, man. This is a long interview. I really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, can you tell me about the new analytics that you guys have tracking ball movement? You, I guess there's cameras now filming. You've got a new uh, embrace of, of, you know, say, are, are you like the next Daryl Morey? I mean, what's going, yeah. what's going on with the new way you're crunching numbers and gathering stats about your team? And can you tell us what it's revealed and it's early going? 
Yeah, no, it's, it's, it actually did something on that yesterday. I think ESPN um, came out here and interviewed Kirk Lakeham, who kind of spearheads that he's uh, assistant general manager. But but the, the, this is my point to the analytics, which are, which are great, by the way, and we fully embrace them. And the question is, and Daryl, I'm never be Daryl. Daryl's an MIT grad. I, I'm UCLA. <laughs> Why, Dork Elvis, man? Come on, you can't compete I, I, with that. I mean, I'm an attorney. I, mean, I went to law, but that doesn't, you know, Daryl is. Uh, this stuff isn't his sleep, so he's. Uh, He's he's kind of the pioneer of it, but here's what here's the challenge, Damon. I could go into uh, Kirk's office or you know ask him what what does this mean or how how one thing that we did the other day was let's track um, with with Bogut let's try to track what what we think his healthiest has been last year with Milwaukee and see now with the cameras how much is he running what percentage of the time on the court is he sprinting jogging running walking and you get a pie chart. And you compare that to when he was healthiest. So you take all that analysis and you say to yourself, well, he's about 10% off his baseline when he's healthy. So you can look at certain things like that. But here's the challenge in all of it. I could walk into my office like you do in the morning. You prepare for your show. You have people and you've got 100 pages of material on your desk, right, talking about every different sport. And you have to decide what of this information is relevant, right? What do my listeners care about? What, what do I want to talk about? What's, what's meaningful? So the question is not now, because now everybody's come very efficient at gathering information. The question is now is, of the 100 pages, there's going to be five things in there that matter, right? right. That matter to us, that actually move the needle. So then you've got to find those things. So let's say you find those five things. Then it is, how do you convey that to your coaching staff to put it into practice? And, and how do you make it digestible um, to them who are moving on the fly, who aren't going to change philosophies and strategies midway through the season? So how do you take all these things and crunch them up and make them digestible for the coaches and convey them in a way that they can be understood and implemented? That, to me, is the thing that's sometimes overlooked. We can have all the information we want. And if you don't have a coach that's willing to embrace it, and by the way, we do. I mean, Mark is open to it. We have a great dialogue. But let's say you're fully on board with it. And you walk down to your coach's office and he says, get out of here with that. I don't buy into any of that stuff. Then it's a waste of time. So it's an organizational philosophy to embrace it, to communicate it the right way, and then to implement it. So it's, it's not just gathering it. That, I think, is being, that, that's being done in every organization, gathering it. I think the next phase in analytics is how do you communicate it and then how do you make it work to win? And so that, that's what we're working on, and, and I think uh, it's a challenge, but we're committed to making it work. Hey, that, that's kind of our thought. Fascinating stuff, man. Thank you for being so yeah. open and candid. I really sure. appreciate it. I, I enjoyed this interview so much. I hope UCLA hires Shaka Smart. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. All right, my man. Take care. Bob Myers, right. General Man.